Everything needs fuel. The sun needs hydrogen. The media people need political drama. You need Cheetos, or you need Meatball Monday, or you need a broiled crab cake, or you need a hot dog at a ball game to keep going in the late innings. Everybody needs fuel, and everything needs fuel. But where do you go? Where do you go to fuel your soul? I go. I go to the roar. MGM has known about the roar for over 100 years now. Let's take a look. You see, a roar says, pay strict attention. A roar says something big is about to happen. A roar says you better move quickly. You better make the right next move right now. A roar rivets your focus toward one point. It heightens all of your senses. There is something about a roar. There's something that heightens your senses and makes you pay attention. So what's in a holy roar? What's in a holy roar? Same thing. God's holy roar comes to us through scripture. He calls us to strict attention. He tells us something big is about to happen. He pleads with us to make the right moves in our lives. And through it all, he fuels our souls. Where do you go to fuel your soul? I go to the roar. All times in history are strange in their own ways, and we live in a strange time of history. This is our strange time. Last year, Time Magazine brought back its famous Is God Dead cover of 1966, but they brought it back in a new form, asking a new question. Is truth dead? In an interesting historical footnote from 1966, Two months before the Is God Dead cover story hit the newsstands, CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite ran a two-part series on the death of God controversy in America and broadcast this bleak liturgy to our nation. He was our guide and our stay. He was our help in ages past. He is gone. He is stolen by darkness, heaven is empty. So now in our strange time in history, we look at these words, is truth dead? Which also pronounce another set of questions for us. Is there anything we can deliberately base our lives on? Anything we can say defines who we really are. What should we do with our brief time on the planet? Where do you go to fuel your soul? So here we are. Is truth dead? It's not dead. It's just changed. It's just been tweaked a little bit. And now there's another term that replaces truth in our culture. It's the word truthiness. Truthiness which was one of the 
words of the year in 2006 for Merriam-Webster, one of the words of the year, truthiness, with this definition, the belief or assertion that a particular statement is true based on the intuition or perceptions of some individual or individuals without regard to evidence, logic, intellectual examination, or facts. It's just truthiness. And so a contemporary theologian of our day, Stephen Colbert, pronounced this definition on an interview on national television a few years back. Truthiness is what I say is right and nothing anyone else says could possibly be true. It's not only that I feel it to be true, emphasis on feel, but that I feel it to be true, emphasis on I. Not only that I feel it to be true, but that I feel it to be true. And then he said this, there's not only an emotional quality, but there's a selfish quality. And I may add tongue in cheek, that is true. Truthiness is emotional and selfish at its core. God's holy roar coming through his word tells us what truth is, what is bona fide, bona fide meaning good faith, what is bona fide and real, so real we can build our lives on it. It can be a platform upon which we can build lives of meaning and integrity. We can fuel our souls on it. And so we come to an ancient letter from the first century to a place called Colossae. As far as we know, Paul never visited Colossae. A man named Epaphras was trained by Paul in Ephesus and went home to start the church, probably in a house. Let's go to Acts chapter 19, just to get a little peek into the possibility of how Epaphras got trained to go back to his hometown to start this church. Acts 19, eight through 10. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. That's like a semester. Class with Paul 101, Gospel 101, Jesus 101, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Now the way was the early terminology for Christianity or those who were following Jesus. They were saying, that doesn't matter. You don't know what you're talking about. Why don't you just go home? They publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. But this is what he did. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now the word Tyrannus means ruler or monarch, which is where you get Tyrannosaurus Rex, right? The lecture hall of Tyrannus. So he goes to this classroom and he invites his disciples to come who want to hear about Jesus and who want to hear about the kingdom of God. And this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And so Paul does his own two-year associate degree program so that they could understand exactly who Jesus was and is and will always be. And most likely Epaphras was in that class at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And he goes back to Colossae to start something new. And Colossae is a town where mostly Gentiles live it, uh, it was about 100 miles east of Ephesus, 
and 1,300 miles east of Rome and a little less than 1,000 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It was an ancient city that had once flourished but had now been in decline for many years. People walked around a lot and said, remember the good old days. It was a center of wool production. So during the winter, you would want to go to Colossae and get some really great wool socks for the wintertime. Uh, in, Bible, in, the, in the website Bible.org, uh, which you can easily you know, Google or look up or however you do that, it seems clear that the Colossian heresy was a, an eclectic blend of Jewish legalism, Greek philosophic speculation, and Oriental mysticism combined together with a Christian flavor. And then I love the way they put it. In other words, like many of the cults and the eclecticism of today, it wore the mask of Christianity, but it was totally false. It used Christian words and Christian phrases, but with different meanings. It claimed to have something for everybody, but in essence provided only a delusion. Yeah, we'll take you. We, we'll, 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 we'll believe that. You believe that? We can believe that too. You want to go a little bit this way? You want to tweak it that way? That's great. We're going to just stir this all up in a pot. It's going to be a little Christian and a little mystical and a little this and a little that, and it's fine. And so Paul is now writing to this early society, trying to get them to understand that you've got to go beyond truthiness You've got to go beyond what just seems to be captivating. You have to hear the roar of the truth. The theme of Colossians is the complete adequacy of Christ as contrasted with the emptiness of mere human philosophy. Well, I think, well, maybe it's like this. Colossians is Paul's original battle with truthiness. And in this first chapter, we will find the four roars of truth. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. So he gives them a beautiful greeting kind of leans in, almost it's, it's like an embrace using wonderful words, pulling them in, and then he launches into what I'm calling the four roars of truth. First roar, the roar of great love. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is the gift of of God, not by works that any man should boast. And, and those words were always in his heart. And I imagine in the hall of Tyrannus that he was sharing those concepts with these people. And he knew that, that they had heard this and that his teaching had gone to them. And he was bringing his teaching to them. You learned it 
You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So you see how relational early Christianity was. It was one person, tell, one person telling another person and groups of people talking about each other and how they needed to, to hunker down and understand what the truth really is and hear the roar of truth, the roar of great love, the love you have for all God's people. And that love that you have can sometimes come in little ways. It doesn't always have to come in big ways. It can come in moments. I had one of those moments the other day. I was in a, a tiny village called Sandwich, Massachusetts. Sandwich, there's a sandwich fire station. Uh, what a great name for a town, Sandwich. And, and I was riding an electric bike, but the electric bike, I wasn't able to, to use a hand pump and get air in the tires. And so as I drove through the center of town, somebody yelled, you need air in your tires, which I already knew, but it was becoming obvious to the whole world that I needed air in my tires. So I was looking for a place and I found a place where I could get air, it was right outside, there's my bike, right outside this little diner, around the corner, there's a machine where you can put quarters in and get air. The only problem was I didn't have any cash, I didn't have any quarters, all I had was a credit card in my back pocket. So I'm in a dilemma, I really have to get air in the tires. So I walk into that little diner and I meet Alyssa. And I told Alyssa I was gonna use her in the message today. I'm not sure she believed me, but here she is, this is Alyssa. And I walk up to her, and, and at, when I walked up to her, she did not have a smile on her face because I said, I need help. I said, I have to get air in my tires. The machine outside only takes quarters. I don't have any money. And she kind of scowled a little bit and looked at me first, first of all. And, and so, and I understood, because would you give money to a man who looked like this? So, so, but I said, Alyssa, I really need, I really need money. And so she goes, hmm. She walks over, opens up a little red change purse that she had, and she reaches in, she fishes out eight quarters, hands them to me, probably hopes she'll never see me again, and this is the price of never seeing me again. But, th but she said this, she said, if it was me, I would want somebody to do this. And that was a little roar of love in my life that I really needed at that moment. Went outside, plunked in the quarters, got the air in the tires, went back inside, gave her 50 cents back, sat down, ordered a homemade apple pie, gave Alyssa a big tip, and told her about Spring Branch and, and a little bit revealed to her that I was a, a pastor and I didn't really look like that all the time. But, um, it was a little roar of love. See, a roar of love doesn't have to announce itself all the time. Most of the time, it's probably quiet to most people. But to the person that it happens to, it is deafening. It's, you don't know how I felt when she just gave me the $2 worth of quarters. I felt respected. I felt cared for. I felt like somebody really listened to me and met me in my moment of need all during each and every day of our lives. We can have this, the love you have for all God's people. And it says at the, in verse eight, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. And this is one of those passages in the Bible. I love these passages where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all mentioned in the span of five verses. 
Make the roar of great love something that you do every single day. Look for an opportunity. Look for a need. Look for a gap that you can fill and, and jump into it with the roar of love that changes a moment, that changes somebody's life. So we have the roar of great love, the love you have for all God's people. We have the roar of endurance. The roar of endurance. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, which is a great definition of how we should be living, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. I love those, those two words, endurance, patience, the roar of great endurance, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The roar of great endurance changes everything. When I knew I was going to Boston, I was hoping in my heart that I would be able to reconnect with a woman I hadn't seen in 40 years. A woman I had worked for. Let me tell you her story. Her name is Dottie. Let me tell you Dottie's story. In 1955, Dottie's Husband Lou had walked into Massachusetts General Hospital. He would never walk again. Five months ago, Dottie had her second child, Susie. She already had David, who was two or three years old at the time, a toddler, and now she had a baby Susie, and now she had a husband who was never going to walk again for the rest of his life. For the next 32 years, Dottie took care of her husband, Lou, who lived in a bed that rocked. It went up and it went back and it went up and it went back all day long, all the time, except at night when he was fitted with a chest pump. That chest pump would allow him to breathe because without this action, he couldn't breathe. He had no muscles from polio. He was struck down with polio at the age of 30 in 1955, just before the polio vaccine came out. And as a, as a child going to kindergarten, we had to take the vaccine in these little sugar cubes. This was devastating to her. A little baby, a toddler, a husband's going to live the rest of his life in a bed that goes up and down and up and down. And I answered an ad in a local newspaper that said, concerned person wanted 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And I thought, I'm a concerned person. I'll call the number. And I go out to their house, and I walk into a room where there's a man in a bed like this, and I don't know what's going on, but I say, yes, I'll take this job. And I would stay with Lou during the day so Dottie could go out and play tennis. Dottie could go out and go grocery shopping. Dottie could do whatever she had to do. And I was with Lou all day long. But Dottie spent most of the rest of her married life to Lou, 32 years with her husband in a bed like this. Couldn't get up to use the bathroom. Couldn't get up to take a bath. And there's so much more to the story, just heartbreaking in so many ways, poignant in so many ways. But the endurance of this woman who the vows of her 
life for better, for worse, just rang so loudly in my ears. Um, I got to spend time with her. We had, to, we had lunch together. We both had lobster rolls. And she kept going, oh, this lobster roll is so good. And I hadn't seen her for 40 years. We talked about Lou. And, and she said, I haven't talked about this in so long. I haven't talked about it in so long. And yet this is the picture of what endurance looks like. It looks like a woman who took care of a husband in a bed for 32 years because she promised that she would do that. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What Paul is saying is, hear the roar of great endurance. You are living now in a time that is short, you're going to live in eternity. You can't even imagine what that's like in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of Jesus, in the kingdom of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom that never ends, and you, you're going to have that. And he's basically saying, do you get the perspective of endurance? Do you get it? You don't have to hold on to everything here. You don't have to worry about taking care of all this here all the time. If that's your only focus, if that's your only concern, you're missing a much larger picture of endurance. He says, live for the church. Live for Jesus. Live to become everything God wants you to become. Have endurance and patience and let the roar of endurance define who you are. You know, this church has, has been here now 25 years and we celebrated a, a 25th anniversary back in June. But that's just the beginning of the endurance, the endurance of the future, the endurance of the legacy, the endurance of what God is doing as we launch new ministries for a new ministry year. Let the roar of endurance, the roar of great endurance, be the light that shines off of you because of the light of Jesus Christ that defines who you are. He calls us to strict attention. He tells us something big is about to happen. He pleads with us to make the right moves. And through it all, he fuels our soul. The roar of great love, the roar of great endurance. And then there's the roar of great truth. The sun is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. 
if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard, that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become, here's the punchline, I, Paul, have become a servant. The roar of great truth servantizes your life. I made the word up, but I think it works. It's better than truthiness. It's way better than truthiness. The roar of great truth servantizes your life. Once Paul realizes who Jesus is, he has only one response that he can make. I, Paul, have become a servant. Not I, Paul, am smart. Not I, Paul, came from a, a wealthy family. Not I, Paul, went to school in Jerusalem and studied under one of the great rabbis. Not I, Paul, am a, a great rabbi. Not anything that's just I, Paul, have become a servant. When you understand who Jesus is, and when you understand what he did for you, when you understand what you, you owe to him. You are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, but he has created good works for you to do. He's created those through Christ Jesus so that you accomplish something that is about a roar of great truth in the world. When you go to Jaycox, it's a roar of great truth as you servantize your life to sit with a second grader and read. When you rock a baby in promised land, you servantize your life. When you go on a mission trip with student ministry, you servantize your life. When you give yourself to whatever it is that God says, sacrifice this, give this, build a church, continue the mission, you servantize your life because the roar of great truth has that impact. There's the roar of love. There's the roar of endurance. There's the roar of great truth. And there's finally the roar of great hope. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul says, doesn't matter that I suffer. Doesn't matter that I've been maligned. Doesn't matter that I've been put in prison. Doesn't matter that I've been beat down. Doesn't matter that I've been shipwrecked. Doesn't matter that I've been cold. All that matters is that I'm giving myself in this roar of great hope for the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, mystery, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And here he comes with the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the roar of great hope, Christ in you the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He's not phoning it in. He's not just shuffling down a road somewhere. He's not just thinking about what could possibly be. He knows that Christ is in him 
and Christ is now in us, and that's the hope of great glory. And simply put, it's stated this way. Hope powers our lives. Hope powers our lives. And you never know when you're going to need the power of hope to get you out of a slick jam that you might be in. I was in a slick jam the other day. Let me show you this intersection that's also in Sandwich on Cape Cod. It's intersection with cars going up and down a hill, cars coming this way from the center of town, cars on the other side of that intersection coming in sideways, cars coming out of a, a gas station where they're just fueled up, cars everywhere, and I am on an electric bicycle ready to cross, and so I wait for the green light, and I fire up that electric bicycle, and I start heading across, when all of a sudden, and I still don't know how this happened, and I will never know how it happened, but all of a sudden, I am being in like in a truck rodeo, you know, and, and, and this truck is right up against me. I mean, literally, right up against my hip is a truck. This is a simulation I did in the parking lot earlier today. But this truck like this, I'm like right there by the fender and the tire, and it's right up against me. It smashes the, the, the pedal on the bike. I don't know how my foot got out of it, just totally unscathed, but I'm in a truck rodeo. I don't know what to do. It's like I'm doing the Macarena. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, how do I get out of this jam? And I just start yelling, whoa, 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 whoa. Upon which, with the window being slid open, the driver stops, pulls over, and I'm like looking down to see, is my foot there? Is the bike there? Is everything there? Are all the pieces in the right place? Besides the smashed pedal, Everything was okay. I was in a tight jam, but the power that I had in me, my physical being, took down the pickup truck. Now, you can believe that or not believe that. That's a story that I'm sticking with. In a different way, hope powers our lives because Christ is in us. And that's the hope. It's not what we do. It's what he's doing in us. It's not what even we plan to do. It's what he plans to do with all of us together. And when Paul understood this roar of great hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he said, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Do you hear the roar? Do you hear from 2,000 years ago what Paul is saying? Is truth dead? Will truthiness win the day of our time in history? Not when you listen and hear the holy roars. The roar of great love asks, where does great love happen because of you? Where do you see the opportunity for great love and you move into that. The roar of great endurance says, where does great endurance sustain you when everything looks like it's fallen apart and it shouldn't be the way that it is in your business, in some kind of a relationship, in some kind of an event, and things are, are imploding? The roar of endurance says, let God sustain you through that. The roar of great truth asks, where does great truth servantize you? Where do you realize that the only viable response 
to the great truth of Jesus Christ is that you are a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word of great hope asks, where does great hope power you? Where do you let the power come into you so that there's hope, the hope of glory that emanates and other people see that. Other people know that there's hope because they see hope coming through you, which is coming from Christ. Everything needs fuel. How do you fuel your soul? He calls us to strict attention. He tells us something big is about to happen. He pleads with us to make the right moves. And through it all, he fuels our souls. From now on and for always, I will go to the roar. That's where my soul will be fueled well. In Jesus' name, Father, we give you this time in Jesus' name. We give you this moment in Jesus' name. We give you this future in the roars that you bring, the roar of great love, the roar of great endurance, the roar of great truth, the roar of great hope. And we ask that you sustain us with these roars that come through your word. Allow us to, to be grounded in your word. Allow your word to defeat the truthiness in the culture that surrounds us. Father, allow us to be a light in the world, like you were always a light in the world through your son, Jesus Christ. We give you all the honor and the glory. We listen for the roar. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we're going to continue the Holy Roar series. And my title is Beyond the Orient Express. It's chapter two of Paul's letter to the Colossians, the early church at Colossae. So if you want to get a jump on it, just read chapter two of Colossians and be here next week and I'll talk to you about Beyond the Orient Express. Right now, uh, you might as well not worry about going to your car. It's raining hard. Uh, somebody told me earlier there was a tornado watch. Uh, your car might not even be there. <laughs> your, car, your car might be in Pungo or somewhere else. So Heath is going to serve communion right now. It's a wonderful time for all of us to come together and remember the giving of Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for us on a cross long ago and what that means. So please stay for this time. Please stand for a benediction and then I'll ask you to be seated again for communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we need your blessing. We need your direction. We need your encouragement. We need you to show us the way. We need you to give us the courage to stay the course. Father, we need you to give us the vision for the hope that you've put in us for Jesus Christ's sake. Father, allow us to servantize our lives and to be everything that you are calling us to be. And we pray all this and we give ourselves to you again. In Jesus' name, amen.